0: This is Last Drinks
1: Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Sober Awkward is another excellent podcast about sobriety, and it's hosted by Vic and Hamish. So on Last Drinks this week, for the first time, I chat to two guests at the same time about their last drink their sober cause, and how they tackled their own sober curiosity. Vic and Hamish's stories are wildly different, and this chat went surprisingly well, considering there were three people eager to drop truth bombs about sobriety in the one space. I love what these guys are doing in the sobriety space, and I feel very blessed to call them my new buddies. Please enjoy Last Drinks with the hosts of Sober Awkward, Vic and Hamish. So there's three voices on this podcast today, so that's a, that's a first for us at Last Drinks. Can we start with your last drink? Vic, you can go first.
2: Well, I remember it very well, of course. It was probably nearly five years ago now. I had just had my second child and had been struggling and questioning my alcohol intake since my first child four years previously um, and had been attempting moderation and wine, beers, waters between wines and all of that old rubbish and then I had another baby I got pregnant and had this beautiful nine months of sobriety where I had an excuse to say no for the first time ever yeah and I promised to do better um, but six weeks after she was born and the mundaneity that comes with motherhood, sorry to be a downer to anyone that's pregnant, but it is a bit of a shock to the system. It is. It's a um,
1: huge, it, it just, it redefines everything. It redefines absolutely everything that you thought you knew about life. And there are good and bad parts about that.
2: Yeah, and, and the transition from party girl to mum is a bit of a shock to the system <laughs> because you go from, you know, being a lunatic at, with backstage passes and then being at home up to your elbows in shit and nappies, basically. So yeah, That's I, a fair
1: assessment, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's very fair. So, yeah, I remember she came along, I so I had a four-year-old and a seven-week-old baby. I'd promised not to drink and I just... It built up over weeks. I was desperate for a reward for being such a good parent. And I went out just to my local pub and I got totally wasted. It was just a weird Sunday night. I knew I didn't really want to do it because I'd already been questioning for so long. And I woke up the next morning and it was just one hangover, far, farmers. Wow.
1: That's so big. And I want to – I'm going to get to you in a second, Hamish. I want to know that next day – Did you, because you had, you said you've you tried moderation and you had this beautiful pregnancy sobriety kind of iteration on that Monday, do you wake up and you go, okay, I'm never drinking again. And something shifts like what happened the next day that made that your last drink?
2: I realised that I couldn't do it on my own. I think that was the big realisation. I had been trying and trying and trying and the realisation was that once I started, I couldn't stop and no matter how much effort I put in to curb my drinking, it just wasn't a possibility. It was so ingrained with me. I'd been a heavy drinker for 25 years, a party girl, a binge drinker. We're not talking about vast extremes here. I'm talking about being a very normal, ordinary binge drinker. Mm. And I just knew that I was proving to myself that I couldn't stop on my own. And I just walked into the lounge and saw my husband that morning and said, I am not capable of stopping drinking on my own, and that's what changed because I reached out for professional support, not professional sport. Which somebody misquoted me once. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't start playing javelin or, my God. or rounders. But what a great story that
1: would have been from early motherhood to netball expert. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I was like, no, no, professional support, not support, sport.
1: Support. Support. I mean, sport yeah, is so, a kind of support. We can dig into that a bit yes, later true, if you want. True, yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah, from that point on, I reached out for help and and I unraveled why I drank, which I, you know, which is the reason I was able to stop, because I learned about my own behaviors and understood myself and came. Actually, your question was, like, how did it change? And it was that I went into therapy wanting to be a better drinker. And I'm wanting to be able to drink like a normal person. And I came out 12 weeks later, never wanting to drink again, after I understood my reasons why. And none of it was healthy. It was all very toxic due to a million and one reasons, which, you know, I could spend hours talking to you about. But I I had an understanding after going to therapy, just a local addiction therapist. I was able to comprehend my reasons why. And that's what I'm able to fall back on now is that I've done the work and I've moved on from alcohol and that part of my life is over. I love that
1: for you and you make such a great point. I think a lot of this journey for people who are sober curious, who are questioning their relationship with alcohol, one of the big pieces is understanding why like why you drink in the first place why you can't stop why you say I'm not going to drink again and then you do and once you figure those little pieces out and come to an understanding of behavior that can be the catalyst for change it doesn't have to be like a dramatic leaving Las Vegas rock bottom moment like you know some no. of the stories that I hear are that but other stories really are just like I just got fed up with myself, and so I did the self-exploration bit. So, Hamish, tell me about your last drink.
3: Well, my last drink was a glass of Bollinger champagne.
1: How fabulous. So,
3: <laughs> it was, isn't it? Well, it, it was a bottle that had been staring at me from my kitchen shelf for over a year. So when my wife fell pregnant, people gave us champagne, which that is funny? sweet but also clearly very unfair. Yes. So we had this beautiful <laughs> bottle we couldn't drink it because she was pregnant, and then we said, "Well, we'll save it for a special occasion." Well, I don't know what she means by special occasion, but we got married and we didn't drink it. <laughs> my brother got married, we didn't drink it. Um, my niece was was born, we didn't drink it. My son was born, we didn't drink it. We bought a house, we didn't drink oh it. My God, and he was just staring at me from the cupboard over a year, and eventually, when I decided, look, I'm giving up tomorrow, we have to drink it because I can't give up and then continue to look at this bottle for, for all time. So eventually I said, we're, we're drinking it tonight. And it was quite sweet. We were All of my wife's friends were up visiting her from different parts of, the, of, of Australia because we just had a baby. Mm. So they all flew in and it was sunset. We were at a fancy Airbnb and Noosa that they'd booked. And I had this, finally, a cold glass of champagne. I said, right, that's, that's me tapping out.
1: And so why, why the tap out? Was your yeah.
3: Slightly differently to Vic, Mm. I didn't, I I never had an issue with alcohol. So mine was more, Vic invited me to be on the Sober Awkward podcast, which I'd listened to for over a year and loved. And I guess I wanted to come at it more from the angle, similar to what you said earlier, that you don't have to have a problem with drinking to give up drinking.
1: Yeah. You know, there is
3: a lot of benefits to explore. I think Vic made an interesting point to me in, in the early days when she said the most in, the dullest thing about giving up alcohol is not drinking alcohol. There's a lot to learn around going sober. That is far more interesting than just, I don't drink alcoholic drinks anymore, which for me is fundamentally be, can I be the person that I was when I was drinking? sober can I still be on a dance floor can I still be an extrovert can I still be the life and soul of a party can I still be confident speaking to strangers all of those things for me is like growing as a human rather than just I gave up alcohol and now I'm sober
1: I'll tell you Hamish it's a dead giveaway that you didn't have a problem with alcohol that you had a bottle of unopened bolly in your house for a year because I'm telling Very you right cool. now mate Bollinger did not last six minutes in my house <laughs>
2: Uh, Mine neither. I remember remember one year somebody gave my mum one of those things that you put in top of a champagne bottle so you could keep it for the next day. And we were like, (laughs) what are you going to do with that? I've never heard of that. As if we'd not finish a bottle. We
1: we can laugh now. We can laugh now. Well, I love this because um, what you guys are doing is like this shared space that you've got with the Sober Awkward podcast, you've really got two different Viewpoints, I suppose, and two different ways that um, sobriety was arrived at, but the result is the same, right? So the result yeah. is we're not drinking for whatever reasons. And Vic, you make a good point. It's not about giving up drinking, it's about the self exploration. It's about what you learn. It's about why am I choosing these behaviors? How can I show up and be my best self? And it, you don't necessarily have to have an alcohol use disorder or a diagnosis even to arrive at a place in life where you go, I want to be better. And that sounds like where you were, Hamish, you are like, I want to do my best. I want to see if I can show up without, you know, a couple of drinks under my belt or having a nightcap at the end of the night. And so I love that because it makes sobriety really accessible for people. And this is one of the stigmas that I'm trying to demystify is like, It doesn't have to be crazy. It it can just be like, this isn't really working for me. Or like, what does my life look like without alcohol in it? So Vic, I'll ask you first, what does your life without alcohol look like now? What are the big ticket changes that you've noticed since you haven't had a drink?
2: Well, it's about exactly what you said, Maz. It's like finding out who is beneath the beer and bravado. Who is that person that lays beneath alcohol? And I didn't realize in the beginning, I knew that alcohol was giving me anxiety and it was making me feel unwell and I stopped. And in the beginning I thought, oh, I've given up alcohol, that's interesting. But as time went on, I found this whole new world that opened up to me, which was about self-care and about starting to like myself and understanding the reasons I drank was because I was looking for love in all the wrong places, in a, you know, in a line of Coke, in a bottle of wine, in a boyfriend or in a, a different country. Mm. And it's taken my sobriety to be able to understand myself, as I talked about in therapy. And that's what's changed, is that I now understand myself which builds a confidence within me. And that confidence takes a while. And that's why I always recommend long-term sobriety and not mm. attempting moderation because you don't reap the benefits of sobriety if you keep going back to alcohol because there's you keep up that can I, can't I argument in your head then. So what I've done is I've kept up my sobriety and I've learned it's like stepping stones with each one is a huge leap forward, each sober social event, each concert, each dance floor, bad robot dancing. Everything (laughs) I do now, it feels like a win. And I'm proving to myself that, you know, I do all the things that I used to do drunk. I'm still the party girl. I'm still fun. and You know, I might go home at 8.30 and have a box of limp but apart from that (laughs) I'm generally the same person I just don't throw loads of booze down my neck Mm. and it just makes me more present and more authentic and more genuine my smile is real I'm not dribbling in a pub toilet anymore which I spent far too many years doing it just makes me at one with myself I know I'm not a woo-woo person I'm not cheesy but it's just about getting to know yourself Mm. and getting to like yourself actually
1: yeah so what do you guys think is, because this is the one, like, I've got so many questions, but in life in general, <laughs> like who invented the GHD? No, but um, because it's changed my life. But why do you think we as a society use alcohol the way we do because, and I was having this conversation with some friends over the weekend uh, at a barbecue, but it just came up about my podcast and I'm writing a book and, you know, and one of the girls was like, Oh, it's great to hear about your podcast while she's having a long neck. And I was like, "Look, no judgment. Like I'm not here to judge and make you like, I'm, I'm good with my relationship with alcohol. You might walk away from this conversation, having some questions about yours but she yeah. was like, she goes, I don't even know why I'm drinking right now. Like we're at a caravan park having, you know, rainbow cake and a barbecue for a maid of ours and our kids are all off at the park. Like she's like, why am I drinking? I'm like, it's a great question. And I don't know either why. And But we all do it or did it and it's really normal. And it's like weekends, yeah. um, birthdays, weddings, you know, birth of children, whatever, we, it's like this go-to thing is like, well, we, it can't be celebrated unless there's alcohol involved. And do you have any thoughts on how we got to this place in our culture and our society where drinking is the normal not- behaviour that doesn't
2: get questioned? <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to butt in there, Hamish. I know we've both got a lot to say about this yeah. one. <laughs> we just did a bit of research, actually, and there is many reasons why. One of them being that we've done it for 5,000 years. Right. It was the monks in in England in the sort of 13th century that used to um, – brew beer to to get food from the local villagers and it started then so it became a celebration it was Mm. the greeks the romans it's been going on in history for bloody years yeah so therefore we've grown up in a culture that doesn't know how else to think and of course alcohol blocks out our emotions so therefore we don't know another way of celebrating or commiserating right
3: I, i think for me it's whether or not you're conscious of it or not a lot of us drink to cover up some sort of insecurity. So, Mm. you know, I think I'm a better version of myself after a drink or I'm a better dancer or I'm better at talking to the opposite sex or I'm more confident. Whatever it is, alcohol sort of is... it. is an answer to those in our head, which of course it isn't. I think it's important to try and... Whenever I go to a children's birthday party and you look at children socialising, who obviously don't even know what alcohol is, if we're lucky, they have got no issues talking to each other, they've got no issues dancing, they've got no issues looking like an idiot. And I think at some point in our teenage years, we discover this alcohol crutch which we use in these social situations and then convince ourselves that that's the norm and that we need that to be the best version of ourselves. And I think it's important to sort of try and get back to the child years and remember that we, we didn't used to need all this stuff. So why do we need it now? And I think, yeah, fundamentally an insecurity is at, is at the crux of that.
1: You know, children can be our greatest teachers and my son is the child at the party that just takes his pants off. You know, yeah, right. and like, and yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> I'm the one? adult at the party
2: taking
1: I mean, I don't know where my son learned that.
2: <laughs> I am, I am, I do do a few nudie dances. I yeah. think they learn it from us. Well, so yeah.
1: Yeah, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, guys. Let's be no. honest. Yeah, it's. I just am so curious as to you know, and I. That's such interesting research, Vic. That you know, it is. It's in, It's so. It feels so ingrained in our society. It's just so normal. No one questions it. And for me, as a teenager, it was like we go to parties, we get fucked up because that's what we do. And yeah. then, and and then at some point. It's like drinking used to be this fun, like, you know, fancy, free, on the D floor, having a great time. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm sad. I'm lonely. I don't know how to engage socially unless I'm wasted or at least pre-gaming. And there's this really critical switch. And I think one of the things that's going to turn it back around, because as I said before, like we live in this society, this culture where drinking is the normal thing. And so... If you're not drinking, people are like, oh, my God, what happened? Are you okay? What's the matter? Mm. And I want to be in a society where if someone's drinking, everyone's like, oh, my God, did something happen? What's the matter? Because that Mm. to me feels like the right way up. You know, if everyone's using this poison, drug, toxin, whatever you want to call it, to pregame being in a social situation. There's got to be something wrong here. Like we're doing social wrong if we all need to be in a particular way to engage with each other or feel connected or feel seen and heard. And I don't know how that's going to switch around. I think education's probably the number one thing. And I don't mean like just telling kids that drinking's bad. I mean, like, let's get the facts out there about alcohol and that it's a carcinogen in humans. Like, fact. (laughs) Like the World Health Organization said, you know, it causes cancer. I think that's a pretty good reason to not drink and go down the science road As well as all of the other things, you know, because I think once we start getting that messaging out there about what alcohol does to our brains, our body, cognitive decline, you know, it's, it's not keeping us on the planet healthier and longer. So then let's scratch it. I think that that's probably a really good way to start. But then I do know that there will be somebody listening to this going, oh, but what my friends are going to like excommunicate me from our social circle if I'm not drinking. So what are your thoughts? um, And either one of you jump in on like how do people navigate social if they're not using alcohol and and they're new to not using alcohol because you feel sober awkward, right?
3: Yeah. Well, Um, I'll go first on this one. I've just got back from England. I've been in England for six weeks having not been for three and a half years And so it's my first time back, seeing everyone. There are all of these weddings I had to go to. And before going, Vic and I spoke a lot on the podcast about what to expect from your friends. You Mm. know, I expected peer pressure. I expected, Vic will never know, just have one. I expected a lot of that. And actually, I think I gave my friends less credit than they deserved. Actually people don't care that much mm. like people are not i feel like we live in a more understanding society if your friend tells you they're vegan or they're gender neutral we don't hammer them for it you know generally people are like, cool that's your thing you know get on with it so actually i think our friends are more understanding than we give them credit for and i found the social situations weren't weren't really as hard as i expected them to be i think i built them up in my mind a lot more for me going to a wedding was all right whereas I rented a, a rental car in Italy and driving on the wrong side of the road. And I smashed the side mirror within 10 minutes. And like the anxiety of that, oh two hours driving tense, that was harder for me. Like that was the day I wanted to have a drink rather than going to an enormous social event.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting because people, I kind of found a similar thing, like it was so all in my head about yeah. mm. everyone, everyone's going to be watching me <laughs> and yeah. everyone's going to be watching for me to fail. That was also one of my thoughts. I was like, if I say this out loud, if I say I'm not going to drink for, you know, the um, the first month of 2015, everyone is going to just sit there with their bucket of popcorn waiting Mm. for me to spectacularly fail you know and that didn't happen at all you know I had like one person yell at me once because I didn't do a shot of fireball and I basically told him to shut up
2: yeah and I think that's what you learn isn't it that's something that comes with sobriety is those boundaries and you're able to put them up and say actually well if you don't like the fact I'm not drinking well see you later that you know that that doesn't bother me and I'm doing this for myself. And that is exactly why we called the podcast Sober Awkward because as a sober person, a newly sober person, when you put yourself in those situations, you inside feel extremely awkward. It does feel like there's a bright light shining on you and everybody's staring at you and your words don't come out properly and that humour that you had with a few drinks down you seems to sort of float away into nowhere. So Mm. it is really, really difficult But once you have your boundaries up and once you get to know yourself and you go into these situations with confidence, knowing that you won't drink, because I definitely think part of it is wondering whether you will that can I can't I again so once you know you won't drink that confidence again builds up and you go in there and like here I am what's going on let's get this party started and it's exactly the same situation but as Hamish said it does take some learning Mm. but what we both found in our sobriety was there is a level of acceptance now I do think things are changing with the sober curious movement and everything that we see on our cuppa platform and everything is that people are being more understanding of the reasons why people Say no to alcohol. We all know it's bad. We know we end up doing stupid things like blowing our fingers off with fireworks on the Millennium Night. We know. Wait, that every- whoa! <laughs>
1: that, for the purpose of podcast, no one can see what just happened except me. Yes, but you blew your finger off, Vic.
2: Yeah, I blew it off with a firework on the Millennium Night. The it's the Millennium Stump. So that's just one of my many injuries and stories. Like I was mental, I was crazy, you know, but I don't, one of the things we really learn every day in sobriety is that I have no shame about anything that I've ever done. Mm. I have done some crazy things, terrible promiscuity. You know, I was just, I was drunk. I didn't know Mm. what I was doing for 25 years. Mm. So now actually our, our episode that's out today is called The Shame Shed, where we talk about all of our shame stories and, we sort of leave them in the past and have a sort of communal shame, which helps us understand that that isn't the people that we are. We were drunk back then. I'm not going to, bring my shame in my sobri- into my sobriety because that person does not re- represent the person I am. Mm. That is someone that was under heavily under the influence of a drug. That's they right. were inebriated and anethnotized, so mm. much so that I was behaving in a way that was probably quite abnormal and a bit out there.
0: Yeah. So
2: now I find that those things that I thought were socially awkward and soberly awkward, with practice, they become much easier, especially if you can leave that shame in the past
1: yeah that's that is such a great point and really good advice for someone who because i again you know a bit of my story when i first stopped drinking i i was apologizing all the time Mm -hmm. so someone would be like do you want to drink and he'd be like oh no i'm so sorry i'm not Mm. drinking and then i kind of listened to myself and i was like well i'm not sorry actually at all and I think owning that space and not being ashamed to be sober is a whole other thing like Um, I felt like when I was drinking I was hiding my drinking and then when I was sober I was hiding my sobriety and I wasn't clearly able to own either of those spaces because there was this little bit of like I don't want anyone to know how many drinks I've actually had or Mm. I don't want anyone to know that I've had zero drinks because either way it kind of sounds a bit weird for other people but once I I had to listen to my language and I I was like I need to change that like stop apologizing like I don't apologize to anyone I'm Maz Compton so then I was like if someone offered me a drink I'd be like I'm good thanks and just, yeah. and just let it hang and just watch them squirm and be weird and like go to the bar and get me a water or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I just got, I kind of, I don't know. It's I'm a bit of a rat bag, but I was like, I'm fine for you to feel super uncomfortable right now. Cause I'm going <laughs> to own my space being sober because this is about me and my choice and like what I'm doing with my life. And I don't need to explain it or apologize to you. And it's not that this person was saying, you should feel sorry. It's That was, again, all me projecting out of all of my weird insecure, insecurity in that early sobriety bit yeah. where I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands, guys. Like,
3: what? Yeah. No one
1: tells you this stuff, right? Yeah. And well, so, Vic, uh, yeah, go. I was
3: going to say, Vic and I came from two very different sides of the spectrum for that. So, Vic... Became sober, but then didn't sort of announce her sobriety. I didn't until tell months anyone for eight. Yeah,
2: 18 months. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I
3: gave up drinking, and then the next day we did a podcast, and then suddenly 10,000 people that I've never met know that I'm sober within, within a day. So yeah, two very extreme sides of the same coin,
2: I guess. I just wanted to mention there we did a podcast about answering that question when somebody yes. does a, asks you if you want a drink, and mm. we had everyone email us and tell tell us their experiences. And one woman she said, when anyone asks me why I'm not drinking, she, she answers, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> yeah. Which like, yeah. We, we love that bad. one. Yeah, we that was the best the one. Best. Yeah, It's such, such a good comeback, isn't it?
1: It is. Like, well, because, you know, the responses can be varied. And I do say to people who are navigating early sobriety, like, drill down on what you want your response to be before you get in the situation where you're like, yeah. um, uh, backpedal, maybe I'll just have one, you know, like go in strong. Like, and it's like a bit of a sobriety power move or it's like, yeah. this is why I'm not drinking. Not that it's any of your business. Um, yeah. and the less words you use, the better.
2: Yeah, yeah definitely. You know, yeah. like without, say I'm sober. I'm sober. That's what I say. I'm sober. That that gives you enough backstory to know yeah. that I'm not drinking and perhaps there's been an issue. So therefore don't prod me anymore.
1: Yeah. I'm sober. How about a game of darts? I don't know. Yeah. Like you know, like move the conversation into the next iteration, I suppose. And yeah, so totally. do you guys find like, I mean, Vic, I feel like you've been, you know, doing you've been active in this space for a bit. Have you are you guys noticing a trend? I don't want to say trend like it's trendy. I just mean like, do you feel like there are more people going, there's a question mark over my relationship with alcohol, no idea how to navigate it, going to just ask a few questions? Are you feeling that shift?
2: I think the shift is with with younger people. We've had a look at the stats recently about that. Younger people are changing their relationship with alcohol. And I think what is really widening the funnel, which is what we're doing with Hamish, is trying to say, look... This is open for everybody, and I think that's what is changing, and that's why that sober curious term or label is like a big warm hug to the sober community because we don't. People are understanding that you don't have to be extreme to be deserving of healing. I think that's the point. You don't have to be rock bottom or floating around at the bottom of the keg to deserve support. You know, and so I remember going into therapy thinking, "Oh, my story is a bit shit." You know, I wasn't locked in a cupboard like Harry Potter, and I didn't have all these. (laughs) dramatic stories I didn't have so much trauma but Mm. what I found out in therapy was that my trauma was relative to me and that was enough to make my drinking change into a problem rather than it be a more normal as we say drinking habit but that's what we're really finding fascinating with everything that Hamish is doing is Look, we're looking at the normal drinker here. We're saying, Mm -hmm. look, this guy has not got a problem with alcohol, but yet he's still finding it hard in some situations to not drink because of the ingrained culture. So there's so many um, sort of facets to it which are making this – next generation a bit more aware of their relationship with alcohol people are reaching out for help more we're more aware of mental health people talk about their feelings more I mean you see on Instagram all the time now people are crying you see people with tears running down Mm. their face saying I'm having a shit day and this has happened so that trend it is definitely a trend I would agree with you of people being more open about how they're feeling is having repercussions on this scene I would say. Yeah.
3: Vic was the only sober person that I knew when I gave up drinking. I don't know any of my friends who don't drink, I didn't know anyone. So I sort of thought the sober community was a tiny little corner of the world and Mm. they sort of communicate with each other. And then when (laughs) I became sober, and you know, we've got this Online platform called the cuppa Community, which is sort of like a social media platform for sober people. Mm. I was blown away by the amount of support. It's like this website is like Facebook, but everyone's lovely. So you go on it. So and it's not say,
1: like Facebook at all.
3: No, it's, the, it's the kind of like the opposite of Facebook. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, people go on and say I relapsed last night, and there's just messages from all around the world of support. And I yeah. that happened to me too. And here's some advice. And here's a course you can do. Here's somebody you can speak to. So I was. I also thought i don't know in my head that i thought maybe most of the listeners to the podcast were women in their 40s i thought maybe that's the majority they have kids and they they, you know reassess their relationship with alcohol Mm. but that's not been the case at all there's i thought you know i was one of the few young men who were in this space that hasn't been the case at all and actually since doing the podcast and since being more open about my own sobriety lots of people my friends have come up to me privately and said you know, we've been listening to it. I'm going to reassess my my relationship with alcohol. I'm going to give up for a month. I'm going to give up for a year. So I think it's either it is voiced and you're not hearing it or your friends are thinking it and not telling you about it. But yeah, yeah. it's much more prevalent. It's a much bigger trend than maybe you are aware of
2: and it's for health purposes as well as well that's Mm. the difference it's like you look we're saying you don't need to get to these extremes you don't have to be hooked up to a dialysis machine to to give up alcohol Mm. you can give it up if it's having any negative impact on your life be that anxiety mental health issues a headache even Mm. you know I don't know anyone that hasn't woken up on a Sunday morning and go bloody hell I'm never drinking again and then found themselves at a pub on Thursday night a happy hour so it's about addressing that niche about those people that fall through the cracks who who are questioning, but really don't feel like they're deserving or worthy of, of help. So it's wonderful to see that people are crawling out of those cracks and going, yeah, actually, I think there isn't something working here anymore. And to be able to then access millions of people all over the world, whether it's through Instagram, through something like Cuppa or podcasts like this, to Mm -hmm. know that actually we all feel like that. And I don't know anyone who has a really healthy relationship with alcohol and let's talk about it.
1: Yeah. And I think something that can, a positive that social media offers is the algorithm. Because once you type hashtag sober curiosity or hashtag sober living, all of a sudden like everything kind of skews you down this path where, as you said, Hamish is like, oh, my God, there's this like there are all these people that don't drink and they're all amazing. And it's like the whole thing, like let's say you wanted to buy a red Mazda and hashtag not sponsored, just saying. Like, uh, (laughs) And all of a sudden every second car you see on the road is a red Mazda. And it's weird how I don't know what that is, but that feels like one of those um like uh, like unwritten law like unwritten universal law things where it's like if you start thinking in a certain way things come around you to encourage you down that path good bad or indifferent so the positive with the sober curiosity is like once you start digging like I mean, I Googled, am I an alcoholic for God's sake? Cause I was so yes. confused and lost and it turns out I wasn't an alcoholic, but that didn't mean that I didn't need to stop drinking. <laughs> like, no. you know, and so once you sort of open that door, it does feel like this, yeah, this really beautiful community of very, I think very compassionate people. Cause what I have found with my own so like sobriety and sober curiosity was I actually started to be kind to myself instead of punishing myself by drinking and I think too once you've shown yourself compassion it's easy to have compassion on others so if somebody does say hey like I've I've slipped up or like I really feel like a drink you know it's easy to come from a place of compassion and kindness and encourage that person to, you know, stay the path, stay your truth, you know, remember why you're doing this or, or you know, have a th- serious think about what alcohol is going to do. It's not going to change your situation. It's just mm-hmm. going to like screw your brain up temporarily and then you'll feel yeah. even worse. So I do think that, you know, there are there are definitely these little avenues into this community that is building and growing and I I do love that for people because I quit drinking nearly eight years ago and there was nothing like I felt like oh my I just felt alone I was like I don't even know who to talk to like I had a counselor and she was really helpful and amazing but there were no forums there was no there were no hashtags there were no influences it was just like it was just me not drinking that bolaboli as well, you know, <laughs> and it was hard. And I feel like it's still hard, but when you've got support and you can draw encouragement from other people's stories, we're helping each other along the way. And I think that's one piece of the sobriety puzzle. That's, that's really key as well. Is this like, for me, I'm like, whatever I've got in sobriety, let's bottle that and sell that in shops Mm -hmm. because I feel like I've won the lottery. I've got the golden ticket. I've got the keys to the kingdom. Like that's what sobriety gave me. So like, how do we get everyone else on board with that plan?
2: Yeah. We're just doing exactly what we're doing. I mean, I've just written a book like you, that's going to be out in March, 2024, a thousand wasted Sundays. I don't know whether it's going to be called that still, but Mm -hmm. So that I is just about.
1: That, I love that title. That's great. <laughs> Thank you.
2: They said it was a bit too rock star, but I was. Like, I don't mind being a bit rock star. You
1: are rock star. <laughs> You're blowing my yeah. your I
2: was. The firework. I, I was rock star. I'm not anymore. Better 8:30 with Yeah, are kind of rock star. Yeah, now. Yeah, that's the level. <laughs> yeah so it's just about that peer support what you're talking about is so important in this sober realm it's like telling your story not being shy about it not hiding behind your story because if you hide behind it others won't hear it and they'll hide behind theirs mm. so I think everything that we do Hamish like any podcast that we're on any blog that we write anything that we do all it is is a story we never tell people what to do we don't say do this do that we always recommend having professional sport (laughs) always going for a run or playing hockey but we we always recommend that alongside your sobriety but I think Mm. what we do as well as you is just to tell our stories and keep telling and not hide behind them so that Others understand that sobriety is a possibility for them because I know, like me, I never imagined that I could ever be someone that didn't drink. Like That was not on my radar. So having a possibility handed to you is like a little bit of gold dust, I think. Yeah, I
3: don't think I I've ever agree met any sober person that hasn't described it as feeling a little bit like a superpower.
2: Yeah,
3: I feel superhuman. I feel like I'm doing something that most people either find very hard to do or impossible to do, and mm-hmm. I'm doing it. And each day, I feel proud of myself that I've achieved another day of this thing that is so culturally so- like hard in society. I know. And I think for me, and I think there's a lot of that feeling proud of yourself. For me, when I when I became a dad. I spoke to Vic in the first episode about when I grew up, I wanted to be a professional footballer. I was like, I'm going to be a professional footballer. And if I'm a professional footballer, I'll be the first one at training. I'll be the last one to leave. I'll eat the right stuff. I'll never drink. And then, you know, I didn't have the skill or talent to be a professional footballer. That's a so shame. you <laughs> drop your standards for like everything else in your life. You know, you go to uni and you breeze it and then you go get a job and you set yourself okay standards. And then the day that I became a dad, I was like, okay, this is – what I want to be elite at, and if <laughs> oh, that's so not cool. drinking alcohol means I'm half a percent better as a dad and therefore as a husband to my wife, then I, of course, alcohol goes. That is not a hard decision to make. So I think it's and then that feeling proud of yourself every day is what fuels the fire to carry on doing what you're doing.
2: I think for both of us, having children was a big catalyst. Yeah. I mean, you were said you became sort of sober curious after having a, having a child, and for me as well, it was my both. My children, then I had a third child in sobriety. I I think they were a good reason why. They were just mm. one reason. And that reason was good enough to at least give it a go. And I think that's what's changing. I think people are seeing, right? Well, actually, I do want to be more present. I, d- I don't want to be passing on. This this negative, which we now know, of course, it is a class A carcinogen. We don't want to pass that on to our kids. Mm. My friend Faye, it's one of my favorite quotes, is never underestimate the cycle breaker. And that's what mm. sobriety is. You have you are giving your children a choice now, whereas I felt growing up, I never had a choice whether to drink or not drink. Absolutely. My family was huge, huge boozers. I felt like the way of fitting in and the way of being loved was for me to join in the party. So, of course, that's what I did. But I think with sobriety and becoming a parent, you are becoming a cycle breaker. uh, breaker, And that could ripple through your family for generations. Mm. And what an amazing thing to give you confidence and give your kids that choice. And it's making my hair stand on end. Look, Mm, Uh, I just think it's so important to understand the impact that you giving alcohol up could have on so many things, including your kids.
3: But what's even more encouraging, you know, it took us having kids to give up, but we've seen from the numbers that there's more 19 to 24-year-olds going sober today than ever before. Yeah, you know, most of them probably haven't had a kid yet, and it is becoming, we use that word, trendy. It is becoming trendy or it is becoming commonplace Mm. for people in the 19, 24 to not drink, which I never would have been able to do. No. You are so... Oh, no way. ...and just doing whatever all your friends are doing at that age. So I think that's encouraging and inspiring that there are thicker-skinned people out there than us who are able to say no to the crowd so young.
1: Well, and I think, too, there, there is this research coming out now. There is more, um, there's more of a narrative around alcohol, how damaging it is. And I also think, like, that this generation that are, like, 19 and not drinking, they've seen their parents. Wasted, yes. And they're like, it's like when your mum gets on Facebook, you get on Instagram, you know, like yeah. you you don't want to do what your parents did. And so that's not a bad thing that that generation are maybe going, I, we're not doing that. Like let our parents deal with all that nonsense and BS. So that's probably, I guess, if you can look at everything's a trade-off, right? Like, yeah, yeah the older generation, you know, the boomers, they're all boozers. But the rest of, you know, the younger kids are, yeah, not tapping in which is which is amazing and then I think there's that group of people that are like I don't know how to not but I want to not how do I not and that I feel like is this
2: space yes definitely yeah and I think also the younger people I know we're talking a bit about media influence here but there are so many good programs on Netflix now about consent and about promiscuity and I think the younger generation watch all that stuff and understand that you know when you go to a party at that age you are putting yourself at risk and you don't want anything bad to happen to yourself or your mates so I think perhaps friendships may be a little bit more advanced than they were because I was a people pleaser I just wanted to make anyone happy and the way I drank to, to make you know the room smile whereas now I think the younger generation with media influence, able to see, well, actually me being passed out on a sofa isn't going to help me and there are repercussions from that that could happen, so therefore I want to be safe and I want my friends to be safe. And that's fantastic. They know drinking puts them at risk.
1: Mm, That's such a good point too. Um, Hamish, is, is all the like the like unsettled non football career is that resonating in your parenting and you're forcing your child to get into football is that is that going well, well, to happen the unfulfilled dreams
3: that. well he's 5 months old Uh, He does watch football with me. He does watch a lot of cricket with me. Start him early, mate. Yeah, he came to four out of five of the Ashes Test matches (laughs) when he was still, He was still in the womb. Um, And I took him, during the England trip, I bought him a Surrey County cricket uh, shirt and he went to a Surrey game. So yeah, I mean, the difficulty for me is that I've married an Australian. So it, if he wants to represent England at sport, I will pay for his equipment and drive him everywhere. Right. If he wants to play for Australia, I will be less supportive. That, yeah. is, where, that is where I lie in this. And if uh, he wants to
1: be in the theatre, good luck. That,
3: that's cool. That's cool with me. He can do that. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank you so much for your time, guys. Where can people catch up with you? I know you've got a few little places where people can get in touch or tune in or tap in.
2: Yes, yeah, so Sober Awkward is on your usual podcast platforms on Spotify and iTunes. Um, we have the cuppa.community, that's just C-U-P-P-A. We're trying to normalise Ming for a cup of tea rather than Ming for a beer. Um, that's a free social platform for anyone questioning their sobriety. So you just go on there, there's courses, there's information, there's events, um, everybody meeting for tea all over the world. So that is amazing. Go on to there. What else, Hamish? And the Instagram
3: is also called Sober Awkward.
2: Yeah. yeah. And also I've got a blog, which is drunkmummysobermummy.com. So loads of articles on there just about my drinking and about what it's like being sober. So, yeah, all the information is on there. Just go and check that out.
1: Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Pod.